Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts and where we left off in Acts chapter 4. In verse 13, now we see the the response here of the council that Peter was preaching to. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And here, you know, they, they are able to recognize, it calls them unlearned and ignorant men, ignorant meaning without knowledge. Um, they, they recognize them uh, as being, they probably recognize them as being from Galilee. Um, remember at various other times that the disciples were able to be recognized because of that. And, you know, even within a nation, you get different areas of the nation, you talk different and, and that kind of thing. And they're able to recognize that, that these men speak in a way that's really beyond what they, what they naturally ought to be able to, to do. They're unlearned men, they're ignorant men, and yet here they are standing before the, the learned and knowledgeable men and even, you know, even uh, trying to teach them the scriptures. And uh, so, so when they recognize who these men are, they're, they're marveling at the way that they speak. Now remember that Christ had told his disciples that when they were brought before kings and authorities that they weren't supposed to even really plan out what they were going to say, but that the Holy Spirit was going to, to speak in them. And that's what's going on here. Realize that you know, when, when Peter here is speaking to the council... Uh, it's not just Peter out of his own knowledge speaking to them, but it's that Holy Spirit in Peter that is speaking there. And it's, it's literally the, the word of God that's being spoken. And the council is able to recognize there's something different going on with these men. There's something that, that uh, you know, we can't really, really pinpoint, we can't really identify, and they marvel at them. And, you know, they're able to recognize them that these were men that actually were with, with Jesus. These aren't, these aren't, you know, second generation believers. These aren't like the people who first believed there on the day of Pentecost. These are men that had been with Jesus when, when uh, he walked on the earth. And remember that this council, many of these would be the same men that schemed to have Christ put to death. And so they recognized Peter and John. Verse 14, it says, And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. They, as, as they look at this man, here's this man that everybody knew, that everybody who went into the temple through that gate saw every time they went into the temple. He'd been lame, he'd been a beggar, and here he is standing before them. They can't deny the, the miracle that has taken place, right? They can't say anything against the miracle. But verse 15 says, When they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. 
Now, how often do you hear people say, they say, you know, if God, if God really existed, if he really wanted to prove that, that he was there, why doesn't he just do some undeniable miracle and, and then we'll all, we'll all believe in him? Um, you see here, these men are faced with an undeniable miracle and it, it doesn't cause them, under, understand that when it comes to believe, when the Bible talks about, for instance, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ or believing in God, it's not just talking about believing in the existence of God. There are probably the vast majority of unbelievers believe in the existence of God. It's not an issue of believing whether God exists or not. It's an issue of trusting what God has said in his word and trusting what, for, for you know, today, it's, it's uh, trusting what God accomplished through his son. Before the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was, you know, there were, there were uh, other things. They didn't understand all that was going to take place with the Lord Jesus Christ. But God, you know, God gave them his word and it was, it was trusting in the Lord, right? And just because you believe that somebody exists doesn't mean you're going to trust in them. There's plenty of people that I believe exist that I don't trust in. Okay, And here they can't deny the miracle. They can't deny that here something has taken place that they know they can't do, that they know only God would have the power to do. And you see, you see it doesn't cause them to believe the message that Peter and John are preaching. Uh, instead, they're trying to find some way. How can we deal with this? We can't deny the miracle. We, we, we better just threaten them not to preach anymore in that name. Right? Under, understand that in some ways... Providing a miracle, the Lord, by the way, they, they had seen all kinds of miracles before this, right? The Lord Jesus Christ performed all kinds of miracles uh, in his earthly ministry. It didn't cause them to trust in him. They, they sought to kill him. And here, again, it doesn't cause them to, to trust in the message here of Peter and the Twelve. Um, in, in some ways, a, a miracle, when you look throughout the Bible, look at the people that God showed miracles too, and you'll find that, that, you know, very often, almost always, after the miracles, the majority of the people who witnessed the miracle wind up just as, you know, in, in as bad of rebellion as they were before they saw the miracle, or worse. Think about Israel, when God performs that, that miracle and he, he uh, allows them to go across the Red Sea on dry ground, and it's not too much later, and what are they doing? They're making a golden calf, they're worshiping that, they're in all kinds of wickedness and rebellion, right? Um, you know, when, when the scripture talks about uh, those who have believed because they've seen, and then, it, and then it says, blessed are they who see not and yet believe, right? When, when you see something, when there's that miracle that you can see, it doesn't take faith to believe in the miracle. You, you saw it, right? I mean, you saw it take place. Um, and, and in some ways, a, a miracle, in many ways, men will despise that kind of thing because it forces them to, to deal with something. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, invite them to believe in the Lord. It forces them, and in their wickedness and rebellion against God, they, they just stiffen their neck against it, right? And that's what they do here. You see, I mean, you would think, you might think, okay, they say they can't deny the miracle, then why don't they believe what Peter and John say? It's because they don't want to believe what Peter and John say. And so they're going to find whatever they, way they can to, to get around that and to stop it. And so you see what their, what their uh, 
consensus is there among the council is that they will threaten them. They're worried. They can't deny the miracle, and they know if they themselves can't deny the miracle, that there are going to be many people in in Jerusalem that are going to hear of this and that are going to start to believe what Peter and John are saying. And they and they view you know what Peter and John are saying about Jesus as a subversive thing. Remember, these are the people who killed Jesus. These are the people who who uh, you know they they. Uh, had the opportunity to to have somebody else released, but these leaders went and convinced the people to ask that Jesus be crucified. They're the ones who brought charges against him in the first place. They're the ones who, for you know, long before he was actually put to death, they were scheming against him. And it seems like they just can't get rid of this guy, right? I mean, they thought they'd kill him and they'd be done with it. And now there's all you know, there's these miracles happening in the name of this Jesus that they thought they were done with and rid of. And so you see, they can't deny the miracle, but they want to think, how can we contain this? How can we contain this message? We want to, we want to make sure that this doesn't get out, that these men don't continue to preach in that name of Jesus. And so you see what they said in verse 17, but that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. See the arrogance of these leaders? I mean, here's, here, here are some men that have the power, they've been given power of God, where Peter can say to a man, rise up and walk, a man who's never walked before, and the man walks. And they think, we'll just threaten them, and then that'll stop it all, and they won't, they won't preach anymore, right? Um, you know, men are often that way. Uh, people in power are often that way, in that they, they overestimate the weight of their own authority. You see, they, these men think, I mean, they, they appear to have the expectation that if they just threaten them, they're going to stop preaching, right? And so that's what they do. They, they threaten them. They call them back in, verse 18. They called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now, they don't care if they go out and do miracles. They don't care if they go out and teach about the law. They don't care about any of that. Just don't use the name Jesus. You know, that's, a, that's an issue in our day, isn't it? Uh, you hear about... about um, uh, military chaplains, for instance, that are forbidden to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's you can pray whatever you want in in public and you know in a in a public type setting, but use the name of Jesus, and then it becomes an issue because that's sectarian. When they're putting those kinds of prohibitions on people today, it's for the same reason that those men are there. See, they don't they don't prohibit Peter and John from preaching at all. They just say, don't use the name of Jesus. We don't want you to do this in the name of Jesus. Um, of course, that's not, going to, that's not going to stop Peter and John. You see in, in verse 19, it says, But Peter and John answered, said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now, basically what, what the two men are saying there, they're, they're saying to the council, you know, the council's going to threaten them and, and uh, let them go. Um, the, you see what they're saying? They're saying, we're not going to obey you, right? They have the courage to stand there before this council. This council, again, that had the, had the power to put the Lord to death. You know, they had to go through some, some uh, bureaucratic hurdles to do that, but they got it done. And they stand before them and, and they say, Essentially, we're not going to obey you. Now, they do it in such a way, uh, they ask them to judge. Would it be right 
basically they ask him the question, would it be right for us to obey you and disobey God? If God has told us to go and preach in the name of Jesus, would it be right for us to obey you and disobey God? You see, Peter and John, now they're not just being rebellious toward the authority of, of these men. This council, remember these are the same people that Christ told, told the people, whatever they tell you, do. Right? Christ, Christ said they sit in Moses' seat. But, you see, their authority only extends so far. Now, they had authority over certain things. They had authority, uh, really, as, uh, their authority was to preach and teach the word of God, and they weren't doing that. Uh, but they don't have the authority here, legitimately, to tell Peter and John, don't preach in the name of Jesus. Right? Peter and John recognize that there's a higher authority than this council. Now, this council has some authority. They have a great deal of authority on a wide range of matters. But they realize that if God has told them to preach in the name of Jesus, no council, no government body has the authority to tell them not to do that. You see, and so they announce their intentions. They don't. They don't go off and say we we need to go. You know, found some underground church and 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 uh, find a way we can do this without getting caught. They stand there in front of the council and they say, "You judge. Would it be right? Would it be right for us to obey you and to disobey God?" They say, "You see what what Peter and John's attitude toward, is toward the word of God." They say in verse twenty, "We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard." We, we can't but speak them. Um, they, they don't even present it as an option. Obeying what the council tells them here to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, it's not even an option for them in their mind. They, they say they can't do it. Um, you know, that's a, that's a good attitude to have toward the, the things of God's word. Can you make the same statement that Peter and John make there? Could, could you uh, stop speaking the things that you've learned from God's word. Now, you haven't, you haven't seen and heard things the way Peter and John did because Peter and John were there with Christ. They, you know, they heard his words directly and that kind of thing. But realize, you hear the word of God every time you come to the scriptures. Can you stop from speaking those things? Um, you know, the, the attitude there of Peter and John is they say, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And that ought to be the attitude of the believer. Now, not every believer is going to be a, a pastor or a teacher or, or that kind of thing, but every believer has a responsibility to speak the things that they've learned from God's Word. That's, that's, uh, that's a responsibility of all believers. The, you know, the, the writer to the Hebrews tells them that he rebukes them because he says, when you ought to be teachers, you have need that somebody go back and teach you the first things. Right, and and there comes a point, you know, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily the best thing for you know every believer uh, from the moment they get saved to to you know start trying to teach everybody the word of God. There is a period where you need to learn some things and that kind of thing. But but the writer to the Hebrews told them, look, you're past that point. There's you're at the point where you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teaching the things of God's word, um, and instead you're having need for somebody to go back and and teach you again. And uh, important things for, for us to consider. There are, there are people in your life that, that I won't be able to teach the Word of God to, but you could, right? And likewise, there are people with me in the same way. Uh, and, and you see here how Peter and John, that's the attitude they take. Now, that doesn't mean it was always easy for them. Um, you know, it, it, the way you read it here, it sounds like it was pretty easy for them to stand before the council and say that, but, but who knows what things were going through their minds. Um, you know, they, they, 
that same time when Christ told them about, you know, standing before kings and, and how they weren't supposed to take thought for what they were going to say, you realize he also told them that they were going to suffer and be persecuted. They, you know, who, who knows what could be the result as they stand here before these, these men, what could happen to them as a result. And yet, you see what they say, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so verse 21 says, So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. And you see how the the people in general, they, you know, this beggar again that they've seen time after time as they've gone into the temple, he's walking. The people are glorifying God. The religious leaders who are supposed to be leading the people in glorifying God, you see, they, they wish they could punish these men more, but... They can't do it because of, they're afraid of what the people are going to do. And, and uh, so the people are glorifying God. And here it says of that man in verse 22, that for the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. You know, here's somebody 40 years, never, never walked, and now he's, he's walking and leaping, and, and um, the people are glorifying God, and rightly so. Now, verse 23 Peter and John have announced their intentions with regard to this command. And in verse 23, it says, Being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. You see there, they, they praise God. Um, they, they praise the same God who created all things and has this power to, to heal and to you know, remove the, the effects of, of the curse from that creation. Uh, they mention the kings of the earth there. And again, they've just been brought before. These, these men, this council, they are, they are a, a, a religious council, but also a political council. You know, the, the way that Rome governed many of these, these uh, conquered territories is they would have a lot of, uh, a large degree of self-rule, a large degree of autonomy, local autonomy, where the local rulers would continue to rule, but they would be answerable to Rome. And so then Rome would have their officials there as well. And so in most matters, this, this religious council, they were the government there of, of Israel in, in most matters. And you see how they, they uh, quote from these psalms here that talk about the kings of the earth, they're, they're uh, in rebellion against God, that they're uh, gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And they, they mention there Herod, Pontius Pilate. Remember, Herod, I mean, there were several Herods that were against Christ. You remember at his very birth, um, Herod had, had all the children there killed in that area to try and get rid of the Christ. 
Pontius Pilate who presided there um, when they when they decided to put him to death. Uh, it mentions the Gentiles, and it says the people of Israel were gathered together. And here, you know, it was it was no it was no surprise that the Gentiles would be in rebellion against God. But here, the very rulers of Israel are there in in rebellion against God and opposing His Christ. And it's important to be wary of the rulers of this world. You see, it describes the the rulers there being gathered together against the Lord. With with very few exceptions, the governments of this world are operating, I I don't know of any exception today, there are very few uh, exceptions historically, but the governments of this world operate in rebellion against God. Uh, It's a a thing to be wary about, all right? And and you see it describes those, those rulers there. Uh, it's an important thing for for believers to understand. And again, you don't have to you don't have to go to North Africa or to Asia or to the Middle East. You don't have to go to these places to find persecution against believers. You find it more and more uh, here in in our own country. You know, when when you have a, a situation where. Uh, the a while back there were a couple of a couple of news stories that were just kind of in in a strange contrast to one another. Um, remember, there was a, a pastor that was going to burn the Quran, right? That kind of a kind of a silly act to do, you know, just as a symbolic type thing. But he was going to burn the Quran. And remember how there was, I mean, the State Department called this pastor of, of I, think, I think his church had maybe 15 people in it. The State Department was calling him, trying to get him not to do this. And yet at the same time, Christian groups that have sent, sent uh, Bibles over to soldiers, to our soldiers in the Middle East that are in the local languages, the military took them out and burned and you didn't hear a peep. Right, and so what's what's the what's the stance of the United States government? Islam is to be protected. The Bible is to be done away with. Right, you see that over and over again. It's a consistent trend that you see. Don't don't think that your government is any better than these governments here. Okay, uh, and and you see how as they praise God here and they talk about these rulers being in rebellion against God, being being gathered together against Christ. Um, You see, they pray to God, and they pray that God would continue to do these miracles that would give them opportunity to to preach. Um, Remember, by the way, that all these things are, you got to keep in mind where you're at in in sort of the, the unfolding of Bible prophecy. Because the kingdom, all the prophecies about the kingdom that Christ would establish at his second coming, talk about the the healings and different things that would be done. And Christ did those things in his earthly ministry as a sign of who he was, so that when even John the Baptist doubted, you know, are you the one that, um, that we're waiting for, right? Are you the one, or, or do we wait for another? And the Lord pointed him to all the miracles that were being done as a, as a, a proof of who he was, that he was the Christ. And here as these miracles continue to be performed, even though Christ isn't present, but you see the, the apostles here are, uh, you see that they, they ask the Lord to stretch forth his hand to heal and that these signs and wonders would be done in the name, again, of, of the Holy Child Jesus. And they pray for boldness. Now, that's an interesting thing because these, these 
uh, apostles, at least Peter and John, Peter and John had just shown great boldness. I mean, this was, this was a, uh, you could say, a, a victory uh, for the message that they were preaching here as they stand before that council and they don't back down and they, they um, announce their intention to continue to preach in the name of Jesus. And yet here they are praying for boldness in verse 29. You see it says, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And here, after they've just shown great boldness, here they, they pray to God that they would have boldness. Now, a lot of times we, we pray to God when we've, when we've had some failure, right? We pray to God when maybe when we haven't shown boldness and then we you know, have some, some guilt or some regret about that. And we pray that God would give us boldness. But, you know, here, here they are, they're demonstrating boldness and they're still praying for boldness, Right? Um, in, instead, of, instead of thinking, instead of relying on themselves and saying, okay, uh, you know, we can, we can do this. You see, even here as they're, as they're uh, experiencing this victory, you see in continuing to pray for boldness, they're, they're continuing to not trust in themselves, but trust in God. They know that that boldness they demonstrated before that council was not something just that they, you know, learned through their upbringing or it wasn't something necessarily essential to their character or or anything like that. Um, Remember, Peter is the one who denied the Lord three times that that night before his crucifixion. Um, This boldness that they have, they know comes from the Lord, and you see that continued reliance on the Lord to provide it here as they pray for that, that, that with all boldness they would speak the word. And... Um, and, and you see, that's the, that's the result. They pray. Uh, here again, there's a, a demonstration of the Holy Spirit, a physical demonstration of that Spirit. It says that the place was shaken where they were assembled, and they're filled with the Holy Ghost, and it says they spake the Word of God with boldness. Now, as they, as they were speaking that Word, what that brought them from, you know, from the outside was resistance and persecution. But notice what it says in verse 32. And the multitude of them that, were, that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet." Now, while, while the preaching of the word of God from, from outside brings them conflict, persecution, um, and uh, uh, even, even punishment, uh, you see what it does, you see what the effect is among those believers. It draws them together. They're of one heart and of one soul, it says. And so much so that, that they, don't even, they don't even consider their possessions their own. Okay? And... All of that is, is really a product of the emphasis here on the Word of God. You see, when, you, when you're going to preach and teach the Word of God, it's going to bring you some conflict from without. But you see what it does 
for those that are within. You see how it draws them together. And you see the central importance here of the Word of God and not just having the Word of God, not just having it in a, in a book up on your shelf or, or something like that, and even not just reading and knowing the Word of God, but the preaching of the Word of God, speaking the Word of God. You see how that's what Peter and John were doing. And you see that's what they pray for here, that with all boldness they would speak His Word. And that's what made that church there at Jerusalem strong. Now it, it separates them more and more from those religious leaders. It separates them from that, that dead Judaism there, but it draws them together as believers in Christ. And the word of God has the same effect today. It hasn't changed, right? People are the same. The word of God has the same effect today. It has a, the, the preaching of the word of God is the, the central purpose of the local church. And it can't be emphasized enough. Now, all the other things that a, that a local church does uh, are, are good things, you know, and, and opportunities for fellowship and that kind of thing. But the central purpose is the preaching of the Word of God. Many churches, many churches have gotten away from the preaching of the Word of God, and they continue the fellowship and that kind of thing, but it, it winds up being an empty thing, right? Before, before long, that church winds up in, in uh, complete apostasy. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth, all right? It, it's the job of the local church to hold up that word of God and to preach it and to make it known and to do it with boldness, just like these disciples here ask for boldness. We ought to always be praying to God for boldness to make known his word. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.